Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hello, Southside. Great to have you today. Welcome home. We're so glad that you would choose to be a part of this day with us and just allow us to be able to speak God's word into your life. Paul said that, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. He said, we loved you so much that we gave you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Today, the series is called Extra ordinary. And uh, what you see in the word extraordinary, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is the extra that you put in it or that you allow God to put in it. And in the Christian world, a lot of times maybe a common misperception is to think that when you say yes to Jesus, you sit back and let him do everything else. But that is not the way it works. When you say yes to Jesus, you enter into a relationship, a partnership, an agreement together. It's not, it's, it's like marriage. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent you, a hundred percent your spouse. And so is the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave you a hundred percent everything he had so that you could have life in his name. And all he asks is the same in return. That is a pure, unconditional love. And he wants the same for you. And when you give that to him, he goes to work powerfully in and through your life, enabling you, empowering you, leading you to do things you never dreamed possible. Today, today we're walking through a book in the Bible that I've just come to love. It's called the book of Ruth. And we're going to look at different individuals and uh, kind of see the hand of God working in and around and through their life as we answer this very big question. Life's big question is this, why do bad things happen to good people? And you know why we ask that question? Very seldom do we ask why do good things happen to bad people. You know why? Because we don't see ourselves as bad people. Everybody sees their self as good. And what we do is we measure other people by our standard of goodness. And so when they don't measure up or when we don't measure up, then we have issues and problems. What Jesus came to do and what he taught on the Sermon on the Mount was a leveling of the playing field. He tells us in his word, nobody is righteous. There's not one good person on the planet is what he says. He says, we're all filthy, rotten sinners is what he's saying. He said, there's nobody righteous. No one has done good. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So your standard of good or goodness may be good for you, but it may not be the same for me. And, and when we live and base and judge ourselves in our lives and each other's lives on our standard of goodness, then we're always either going to be higher than another or lower than another. But when we measure ourselves by God's standard of goodness, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. But it still leaves the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a great question. And what we see in this story is suffering we see suffering, hurt, and pain. 
And suffering is a dark intrusion into God's world. God did not create this world with suffering. He created it perfectly. He created it without sin and without suffering, but the enemy brought that into this world. And and because of Adam and Eve and their sin, and it could have been Jeff and Candy, it could have been you, could have been any of us, we all would have done the same thing. We we would have chosen our way 100% of the time over God's way. You know what? You can go your own way. Go your own way. I mean, you can do it. You can call it another anyway, nevertheless, but you can do that. You can go your own way, and they did. And because of that, the world spun into a spiral of death and sin. And today we're still paying the price and the consequences for the sin of two people from years and years, thousands of years ago. But what we see today in Ruth, Ruth is for people who wonder where God is when the storms of life hit hard. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, the last summer sermon that we spoke of in the Reset series, he said, a wise man builds his house on a rock, on a firm foundation, so that when the storms of life come, the winds and the rain beat upon that house, it stays standing because it's built on a rock. But the foolish man builds his house on sand. And when the storms of life come and beat on that house, the house falls and great is the fall of it because it was built on a shaky, sandy foundation. And so here, Ruth is for people who wonder, God, where are you when the storms of life hit hard? Well, I'll tell you this, we're going to see the sovereign hand of God working through this story. You're not going to see a book full of miraculous moves of God, full of miracles and great power. But what you will see is the sovereign hand of God leading and guiding people, sometimes even without their their knowledge and understanding of it, but it still doesn't doesn't erase the fact that God is doing it. Because sometimes you may not be able to see God's hand, but you can learn to trust His ways. And, and, and that's what we see in this story. And so today, our circumstances, great truth, great sentence, great statement. Our circumstances, whatever yours is, good, bad, or ugly, do not alter God's presence, God's person, or God's power. Your circumstances will never alter or change God's person, power, or presence. And what I want you to know today is there is a reason for it. Yes, there is. There's a reason for what you're going through. The question is, do we want to find out? Do we want to walk through it, or do we just want to get out of it? Most of the time, we're begging God, get us out of the difficulty, get us out of the situation, especially if we caused it. And and, and even if we did it, we uh, we want to be rescued. But sometimes, God's leading through the situation does more for us, in us, and through us than it would ever be done with just rescuing us from the situation. I heard a preacher say this one time, he is absolutely right. God is doing about 10,000 things at one time around your life. And you and I might be aware of three of them. That means God's hand is crazy busy and at work in and around your life. Today, here's what we see. Number one, suffering is real. Suffering is real. We see it, we live it, we know it. And we see it in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. During the time of the judges, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges is a time in Israel where the Bible says in those days there was no king in Israel and every person did what was right in their own eyes. It doesn't sound like the day of Judges. It sounds like 2022. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. Right and wrong is determined by you. Do whatever feels good. Make up your own rules. Live by your standard of goodness, rightness, and and your judgment and authority. The problem is that doesn't work. It never works. We do not live in a world where truth is relative. We live in a world where truth is absolute. There are absolutes everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, everything that we touch, all these places that we go. The world is full of absolutes, but yet the enemy wants us to believe that truth is relative. Friend, truth is not relative. And all truth is God's truth. And today we see here during the time of Judges, which was a very dark and evil time in the history of the nation of Israel. There was a famine in their land. And we know this uh, because historically it accounts for this. But we know that when Israel experienced famine, that that was a judgment from God on their land because they disobeyed some command and broke some law that God said not to. And so a famine was a byproduct of judgment from God. And so there was a famine in the land. And a man, his name is Elimelech, a man left Bethlehem. And we see Bethlehem all throughout Scripture. We know Bethlehem to be important because of Jesus But Bethlehem was present all throughout the days of Israel into the Old Testament. And some powerful, very famous, godly people came from a little town called Bethlehem. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife, her name is Naomi, and her two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. Moab is about a 100 miles north of Jerusalem. Moab is a, is, an, is a place where they are enemies of the Israelites. It's a pagan land that is primarily focused on the god Chemosh, where that is a, 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 a false god, obviously, where the people of Moab would sacrifice their own children to the god. Crazy, ungodly, wicked land. And here you see how bad things must be in Israel for a godly man, a Jew, to leave the land of Israel and go to the land of Moab. And so while he's there in this land, something something happens to Elimelech. He dies, okay? And the two sons and the mom, Naomi, are left alone. And so we see this. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives, something that was forbidden by God for a Jew to do. But they're living in this land. They have uprooted. They've lived here. And now their dad is gone, the breadwinner for the home. And so the job of these two young men is to make a living, provide for their family, now their mother. And so they've got to do, they've got to, they've got things to do. And so here they take two Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah. Not Oprah, but you know, who is Orpah? She was some loudmouth, uh, you know, um, uh, talk show host. I mean, she kind of had her own trade, joking, just kidding. And the second was named Ruth, kind of quiet, reserved, humble. But here they are. And they lived in Moab about 10 years. What you see in the first five verses 
of the book of Ruth in chapter 1 is you see a tremendous amount of suffering and heartache. Israel's rebelled against God. The time of the judges was not a time of peace. It was not a time of, of, of prosperity in the land. It was a very difficult time in Israel. And people rebelled against God and God's judgment fell upon them. And here was a famine. And so they're already hungry. They're starving. So they move and they go to the land of Moab. And, and now Elimelech is gone. And, and so Naomi's left with her two sons. And so they take two Moabite women to be their wives. This is where we are. This is the product of what happens when bad things happen to good people. But there's a reason for it. And the first thing we have to understand and that you know and I know is that suffering is real. And so something happens in this story. What happens? Well, the two sons both die. They were not in good health, which was probably a product of the famine that was in the land. And so these two sickly men, they, they, they take ill and they die. So now, now you have Naomi, you have Orpah and Ruth, and her talk show wasn't going real well, so it really couldn't keep them together as a family and keep things going, okay? And so here, Naomi, Naomi talks to these girls and says, look, I'm old. If I find a husband and I have a baby, I've got to have two sons. You've got to wait for them to grow up for them to marry you. She says, forget that. Go back to your people. Go back to your families. Go back to, 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 to the way of life that you knew. I am releasing you to go back. And so Orpah says, well, you know, I got a good thing going. My talk show may kick back on, but, but yeah, I got you. I'm out. She's gone. She kisses Naomi and she leaves. And Naomi says, look to Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. I want you to follow your sister-in-law. But this is what Ruth says. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back. Don't tell me not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. This statement, this statement represents a picture of true conversion. This is, this is a picture of real faith in Christianity to me. Because you're, you're seeing a lady that is a foreigner, a lady that has, that has, been, that has been grafted into this family, and tragedy is struck, and, and they're all alone because this is, this is as, as bad of a situation as you could be in for Naomi, for Orpah, and for Ruth. And for Orpah to walk away was a blessing to her because it meant she could have, she could have a better life. Because all that's left for Naomi, and Naomi knows this, she says, it's bad enough if this happens to me in Israel, but I'm in the land of Moab. And I'm a Jewish woman. I'm an Israelite living in a foreign land. I'm, I'm, I'm poor, I'm a widow, and I'm old. She said, none of this works in my favor. And here's Ruth. Ruth, who is still young. Ruth, who still has a life ahead of her. But Ruth is clinging to Naomi, saying, I'm not leaving you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people be my people. Your God, my God. It is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of conversion. She said, I'm in. I'm all in. And I don't care what happens. I'm with you 100%. And so this is what they do. 
The Bible says that, that the two of them traveled together until they came back to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Look, look, Naomi's back, and she's bringing somebody with her. I mean, in those days, they didn't know Elimelech was dead. They didn't know she'd lost her two boys. They didn't know that they had taken Moabite women. They had been removed from that land. And Naomi speaks to the women and she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She answered because, listen, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. See, her name Naomi meant sweet. And and in those days, your name, the meaning of your name was very significant. And it, it really spoke into your life. And she had a sweet spirit about her. She had a godly spirit about her. But now... Bad things, horrible things have happened to her. And look who she blames. She does what we do. We blame God. God, why do bad things happen to good people? God, why are these things happening to me? And we ask God and blame God for all the bad things that happen to us. She says this. She does the same thing. The Almighty has made me very bitter. Mara means bitter. This is what we see. Suffering. Suffering can either draw us closer to God or push us further away. We have to decide which path we will take. Naomi's picked it. It's pushing her further away. I get it. Some awful things have happened to her. And we have to, and, and she doesn't want to hear there's a reason for it. The last thing you want to hear when something bad happens to you is a pastor walk into the room and go, well, you know, there's a reason for it. <laughs> People don't want to hear that. They don't want to know that. She didn't want to hear that. But suffering is real, and that's okay. Number two, God is never too far away. Even though suffering is real, we need to learn and understand and look for God. Why? Because God is never too far away. This is what we see. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, twice removed, named Boaz. I mean, you know, and I'm just joking there. She had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. You know, I got this, I got this family member, you know, he's a relative, he's twice removed, he's my cousin's uncle's brother, sister, you know, son. Boaz is his name. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. So he was a man who had a great reputation and a strong character. And Ruth, one day, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? Ruth is saying this, we're going to starve. We're homeless, we're jobless, we're husbandless. We in bad shape, girl. We got some problems. There was no way for them to make a living. There was no place for them to live. They just, they, they had no hope. And so in those days, when, when, when farmers would, or harvesters would go out in the field to gather the crops, there would be the poor. The poor would come along and gather the leftovers. They would be encouraged a lot of times to drop extra, leave things behind, and not go pick it up. And the poor would come in with their baskets and gather it up. And so Ruth is trying to make a living here and provide just food. And she said, well, you let me go into a field. And Naomi said, go ahead. Yes, go do that. And so she does. And she finds herself, just so happens, she finds herself in the field of the man named Boaz. 
And, and, and Ruth didn't know who this man was. She doesn't, doesn't know that he's a family member, a relative, a cousin, a cousin of, of Elimelech, her father-in-law, her late father-in-law. He's a family member. And so Ruth finds herself in the field. These men are gathering. She kind of jumps in with some of the other ladies, and they, they, they welcome her in. They bring her in, and they kind of make her one of the group. And then one day, here comes, and then later in that day, because all chapter two is, is a 24-hour period. So you have a 10-year time period in Ruth chapter one. You have 24 hours in chapter two. And as, as Boaz comes onto the scene, I mean, I'm picturing as they're, they're out here in the hot sun, they're working, and then everybody gets excited because they see a horse with a rider with hair flowing in the wind. Picture Nicolas Cage riding in on a horse, you know, Fabio coming in with his hair flowing in the wind. And they're like, it's Boaz, Boaz. And Boaz hops off the horse and he says, the Lord be with you today. Then they yell out, the Lord be with you today. It's a picture of a Hallmark movie. Dear God, help us all. And he walks around and he's looking, he's greeting all these people and he says, wait a second, who is that? Who's that girl? Who's that girl? She's so fine. No, no, that's not it. I mean, imagine her. I mean, I don't know that she looked all that good that day. She didn't have time to get all dolled up. She didn't have time to get all fixed up. This girl been working in the field all day. Okay, but, no, but, but, but Boaz still recognizes her and sees her. This isn't how to win a guy in 10 days or how to lose a guy in 10 days. This is called how to lose a guy in 10 seconds because she probably didn't look all that good. She probably didn't smell all that good, but here she is. And, and they, they say she's just, she is Ruth the Moabitess. She's the girl we've heard about. Remember Naomi, your family member, where she came back, she left, and now she's back empty-handed, she's here. And, and so, so Boaz goes to her and he says, look, he says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I want you to stay here. I'm going to tell our men to keep you safe. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to stay. We're going to gather the grain for the day. I'm going to take care of you. And he even goes to his servants. He says, look, let her pick up a little bit extra. Okay, let her pick up a little bit extra. Give her more than she was anticipating or she could gather on her own. The Bible says at the end of the day, she was able to gather an ephah of, of wheat, which is a massive, massive load of wheat. But Ruth must have been jacked because she was able to pick up that old thing and carry it back to Naomi. And so when she goes back to Naomi and is like, boom, look at what I got, this is what happens. Naomi said, where did you gather barley today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about the men she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Cue the music, cue the horse, the long flowing hair, Nicolas Cage, Fabio moment. You know, that's kind of the picture you would see. It sounded kind of some cheesy Hallmark movie, I understand. It's a, it's, a, it's a great pickup line. Hey, girl, hey, I see you. I'm going to let you gather a little bit extra grain today. You know what I mean? And my Ruth's like, oh, you know. I mean, there you go. I mean, here's your an Old Testament pickup line. Use it on a Sunday. Young people, fellas, you see a girl, go by and say, hey, girl, you're breaking all kinds of Old Testament laws today. Really? Why? Because you're working it on the Sabbath. Anyway, that was bad. Anyway, moving right along. So here it is. Naomi said to her daughter, 
She said, may the Lord be blessed, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, this man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. She said, he's a cousin. And Naomi's, Naomi's like, this is our family. And Ruth's like, wait a second, he's our cousin. You know, that thing may be legal for y'all in Bethlehem, but it ain't right in Moab. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of that way here, unless you're from Isla or Winder. But anyway, nevertheless, moving right along. Naomi says, wait a second, it's Boaz. Hold on. This is a lady who's bitter, right? She's not sweet. This is a lady that suffering is real and God's been bad to her. The Almighty has forsaken me. Hold on. May he be blessed by the Lord. A person that's bitter doesn't say this. Because God has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. He's one of our family redeemers. What does that mean? Well, in the case of death of a, of a head of a household, in Jerusalem, and Israel, it was the right of the family. They had to have a family kinsman redeemer. Someone who would take the role of that husband, who would bring that lady into his home to be his wife so they could continue, have children, and have the family name continue. And a kinsman family redeemer would be someone, one, they had to have the right, they had to have the resources, and they had to have the resolve to be that kind of person. So I want to tell you this today. When God feels far away, I promise you, he is not the one who moved. When God feels far away, he's not the one who moved. See, there's a reason for the hurt and the pain and the suffering. Suffering is real, but God is not too far away. He's never too far away. Number three, hope is biblical. See, when we see the word hope in our culture today, we say, oh, I hope my team wins, or I hope I have a good day. It is not based on anything but pure speculation and conjecture. It's just something that we desire to happen. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is based on a promise from God's Word that gives you the faith and the confidence to go walk it out and live it out because you know, because you know, because you know that God is faithful and true to keep His promises. And so here in this story, this story, Ruth says, this is what I want you to, or Naomi says, do this. Dress yourself this way. Get a bath. Get cleaned up. Get all dolled up. And go back to Boaz and do this. Tonight, when he lays down after a long, hard day in the, in the wheat room, they're just going to lay among those things to protect it from thieves or from whatever that comes that way. She said, I want you to go and lay by his feet. I want you to uncover his feet and lay next to his feet. He's going to know who, what, who is this? I want you to tell him who you are and tell him that he is one of our family's kinsman redeemer and let him take care of the rest. What is she doing? She's discipling her. She's telling her exactly what to do. Why? Because Naomi knows that hope is biblical. She knows the process. She knows the promise. She knows the way things are supposed to be. And she knows the character of the man that is going to be lying there. And she knows exactly the way he will respond. This is an act on the promises of God. This is a lady who has deep, deep, 
deep embedded hope inside of her that is built on faithful promises from God himself. She may be bitter because of the suffering that has happened to her, but she's faithful to the promises of God and his promises never return void in your life. This is what happens. So Boaz asked in that moment, who are you? It's dark. She said, I'm Ruth, your slave. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer. In other words, take me as yours in this moment. Watch. Yes, it is true that I'm a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer that is closer than I am. This is what he says. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him do it. But if not, if he doesn't want to, as the Lord lives, I will. Now stay here until morning. This is what we see. Biblical hope says that I will walk by faith even when I can't see or don't understand. A place where you get to where you know you're maturing and growing in your faith is when you're able to walk by faith even when you can't see God's hand or working or you don't even understand it. But you know that hope is biblical. And I'm going to be true to his promises. That's what we've got to learn. Be true to this promise. I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. I'm a promise with a capital P. You know, I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. I mean, that's it. But I'm learning to hear God's voice. You know, that's, it's, 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 it's taking his word and living by it. Hope, friend, is biblical. There's a reason for what you're going through. Why? Suffering is real, but God is never too far away. Hope is biblical. And finally, grace. Well, that's just amazing. Grace is amazing. What do we see in chapter 4? Chapter 4 is something special. In the morning, Boaz gets up and he goes to the city gates. And he sits there and he waits. And meanwhile, Ruth went home and told Naomi what he said. And Naomi said, it's okay, honey. I know the man we're dealing with. He won't, he won't go to bed tonight until this matter is resolved. And so there he sits. He sits there with the city leaders and he's waiting. And here comes the other relative who is closer than he is to the family redeemer. And he stops him. And he says, hey... Hey, you know, I've, you know, you know, Naomi, she's back, right? And, and here's some land. Remember Elimelech? Elimelech's got some land. You know, he passed away, bless his heart. And he's got, he's got some land that, that is, is his. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you that it is available. And you're the family redeemer that's closest. If you want it, then you need to take it. And if not, I will. And the man says, sure, I would like to buy that. I've got some money. I want to invest. I want to, I want to take that. I'll do that. And he says, well, okay, that's great. Boaz says, but hang on, because it also comes with a couple of other things. It comes with Naomi. Well, Naomi, I mean, that's what they used to call her. She's, you know, she just, bro, she went to Moab and she's just a bitter old woman. I'm just telling you. I mean, that's, she's even changed her name to bitter. I mean, but God bless you, bro. She comes with it. And she got some other baggage. She's got a Moabite daughter-in-law that's coming with her. I mean, you know, who knows, man? She may have some weird cousins in Moabites. They're crazy. They're crazy over there. But, you know, it's all right. Go ahead. But you've got to take them with it. 
And so that guy stops for a minute and looks and he says, well, you know, I prayed about it and God said no. And he said, if you want it, you can have it. And he walks off and that's what happened. And and, and Boaz takes it and that's the end of the story, right? No, that's not the end of the story. It says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. It said this, The neighbor women of Bethlehem said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. But I thought the son was born to Ruth. Well, it was. The boy was born to Ruth, but it's a part of Naomi's family. They named him Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. What does that mean? (laughs) It means there's a whole lot more to the story than you and I can imagine. It means this all the way into Matthew chapter number one. It says, Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered King David. Then King David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife, and Solomon fathered Rehoboam, and Rehoboam fathered Abijah, and Abijah fathered Asa, and Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, and Joram fathered Uzziah, Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham Ahaz, Ahaz Hezekiah, Hezekiah Manasseh, Manasseh Amon, Amon Josiah, Josiah Jeconiah and his brothers, and then at the time of exile to Babylon, and then Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, Shealtiel Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel Abiud, Abiud Eliakim, Eliakim Azor, Azor Zadok, Zadok Achim, Achim Eliud, Eliud Eleazar, Eleazar Mathan, Don Jacob, Jacob fathered Joseph, who was the husband to Mary, and she gave birth to the son who called him the name Jesus. And we think there's not a reason for the difficulty and the hurt and the pain in our life. Friend, today, you and I need to stop identifying ourselves by our situation and start identifying ourselves by our Savior. You know why? Because if you're not dead, God's not done. Today, today you never will even have a clue what the Almighty God is doing around your life until you say yes to His working in your life. Today, stop identifying yourself by your past, by your pain, by your present. Start identifying yourself by the one who gave Himself for you. Because if you're not dead, God's not done. So wherever you are today, you have a decision to make. Are you going to live by your pain? Or are you going to live based on the promises of God and His Word? Today, friend, God wants you to know suffering is real. But He's not too far away. Hope is biblical. And grace is amazing. Today, give your life to Jesus. Say yes to Him. Repent, come back to Him, and let His love and His grace flow through you and empower you to go and live your very best life.